Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Matthew Doc Dunn is a prolific visual artist, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and singer based in Toronto, Ontario. The man behind Cosmic Range Records and also the band The Cosmic Range, who were, in fact, the backing band on U.S. Girls' critically acclaimed 2018 album, A Poem Unlimited, Dunn has collaborated with a host of artists and released a slew of music on his own that challenges and defies easy musical categorization. His latest solo effort is called Upper Canada Blues, which has inspired him to play a rare solo show on January 16th at the Baby G in Toronto. Matthew invited me to his home in Toronto where we discussed his musical trajectory, the downsides of music tribalism and hardcore punk, celebrating heroic cultural figures when we should, his album Upper Canada Blues, his future plans, and much more. A part of the E1 Podcast Network with the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 515th episode of Creative Control featuring the earnestly opinionated Matthew Doc Dunn with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, 
Hi, Matthew. How's it going? Uh, good, Vish. How are you doing? Well, thank you for having me in your home. Oh, thanks for coming up. I appreciate it. This is, uh, you told me to meet you at the studio in Toronto. Mm-hmm. When I meet Toronto musicians at their studios, uh, it's not as nice as this. <laughs> You're in a nice home here. Mm-hmm. Tell us about, tell me and the people listening, where are we? What is this place? We're up in Midtown around Young and Davisville. My living room is my recording studio. So it's where we've been working pretty much for the last couple years. I, the studio I had that I recorded the Lightborn record and Sacred Lamp and a whole bunch of the, the stuff that's been surfacing was at my old house on Lightborn Avenue, which basically the space you're looking at, Vish, yeah. was the basement. Right. And so it was like, it was a real... It was a real tape studio. Right, where, sure. You know, kind of classic, yeah. uh, you know, subterranean, <laughs> uh, you know, subterranean classic. But um, but it is now relocated to the uh, the dining room. <laughs> Main floor space. Here. Main floor space. You know, it's a beautiful space. Um, we call it the manor. The manor. It's the manor. We recorded a bunch of records here over the years. A couple of the MV records. Okay. Yeah, the, the MV and EE records we recorded here way okay. back. Okay. Now, for people listening, what does that mean? What is it? Oh, um, it's Matt Valentine and Erica Elder. There you go. Who are a couple who I've done work with for the last dozen years here and there. Uh, Matt, who's known as MV. Um, he was in the band The Tower Recordings uh, in the 90s, who are really one of my favorite bands, and uh, connected with those guys, you know, 04, 05, I guess, somewhere like that. Okay. And um, played with them a bunch, especially in the late aughts, early teens, I guess, <laughs> Okay. Um, to speak in those terms. Um, and yeah, we recorded some stuff here way back, and... Um, and yeah, I mean, I was basically I was renovicted, and I ended up here. Well, I think you turned out. It sounds based on your description of the subterranean recording space. I think you, you fared well. Yes, this is uh, definitely a more Tony uh, <laughs> <laughs> enterprise. It's weird that you said that. That's the exact word. As I was pulling my car up, I'm like, this is a Tony neighborhood. That's what I thought. Well, I'm happy our adjectives are on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's lovely. Now I know you as something of a multi hyphenate. You do lots mm-hmm. of different things. What are all the things you do in the realms of music and other creative expression? Well, the the music thing, I guess, is got a few hydra heads. I guess. I mean, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess you play everything, right? You can play basically I, every instrument. I can play a lot of instruments. I can play, you know, I I mean, s- strings and drums are usually the things I <laughs> start from. Okay, pretty much. I started out as a drummer as a kid. You know, fairly primitive, but. Um, do you mean the instrument itself is fairly primitive? It no, is kind of. like I was uh, fairly <laughs> primitive, uh-huh. but in the truest sense. In I think the, everyone, I'm a drummer. Every time you, when you start playing drums, it's it, you sound you feel like a caveman. Yeah, like, bah, 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 and then eventually you uh, pick up. Eventually, it grows. you refine it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so drums, drums are the first thing I got into when I was a kid, and then I started playing guitars when I was you know twelve, eleven or twelve, something like that, and um, so. You know, I, I can play those instruments. You know, I play the pedal steel. I've been playing vibraphone a lot lately. You know, I grew up... Actually, actually that's not really true. Actually, my first instrument was the harmonica. I started playing harp first. Like, like was, for real playing it or just like kind the, of. the way I give like a four-year-old a No, I actually whatever. could kind of play a bit. Like, because yeah. I, I mean, I, I've always done this. I still do. I would play along with records. 
so you know we had the Dylan records around and I'm sure, I think I think my first exposure was probably seeing early Beatles when Lennon sure was playing I think that was probably my first exposure to it Love Me Do or something exactly sure. you know I think there's a there's a great, that great video yeah. of them right I think that if I could peel it back I know Ringo definitely influenced me on the drums absolutely it, just yeah. watching him yeah. especially the early stuff yes yeah. I mean that's that's like for a six year old seven you know it's like it's kind of roots of uh, Ramones even there somehow exactly oh yeah early Ringo yeah or no, early that, Beatles yeah, yeah that same energy right yeah, just yeah. in you know it's like uplifting too you know and pretty and pretty uh, not a ton, I mean Ringo became known for some pretty unique fills but I mean early days he's just most I mean actually he would always do some fills then I think about it, or roles yeah he's a great drummer he, I always thought he was a great a great drummer I still I mean, do my my retort to anyone who turns their nose up is it's like so the guy on every Beatles record's a bad drummer if he's a bad drummer then every, then you know hang it up absolutely one of my influences uh, I mean yeah those Beatles were good that was, oh. a, that was a good band yeah they uh they could do some things. They're worth celebrating, I would say. There's the, that band deserves more recognition. Well, no, I, was talking, I, <laughs> I was talking to a, I was talking to an engineer uh, last night who I was doing some work with, and um, we were talking about them. Uh-huh. And the thing that no one talks about is the singing. Yeah, I mean the singing. There's there's no there aren't really better singers. Well, so. I, I mean I thought the singing was always. Um, something else but then you spend any time with Abbey Road which everyone's doing as we're speaking there's like a reissue coming we out. were speaking of this last night yeah so the new I haven't heard anything they've put out about the reissue but I just think of when I think of Abbey Road and some of the stuff they did um, on that record in particular which was kind of this weird throwback to their early days that harm that harmony thing is ridiculous well this is what we were speaking of last night um because i used to have bootlegs of all that stuff but yeah just go through abbey road listen to the isolated vocals yeah. and uh you aren't going to find better singing it's 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 beyond the beach boys yeah absolutely like, i agree it's it's pretty it's pretty shocking <laughs> it, it really is you know it's yeah. you know i mean not to you know not to belabor uh you know the most popular yeah I don't want to talk about it too much but, I, but I, I'm but with yeah, you but, but this was a very formative so were they like the thing that got you you say you started as a drummer so was it Ringo that got you into music I remember seeing um, or the, no it was the harp actually you said it was the harp yeah. um, but I think that was only because like you know my parents weren't going to just go buy me a drum set Harmonicas know. are much they're, much easier weirdly I find like my kids used to play the, the harmonicas we gave them I don't know. It's a harsh sounding instrument in the oh. wrong hands. Oh yeah, I mean, I would in the wrong mouth. I should say, yeah. I would play it a lot walking home from school. I had like a twenty minute walk. <laughs> wow! And I would just walk home from school and just toot away. I still have the the first one. That's amazing. Yeah, actually. and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if I have to pinpoint it, it would, I remember seeing. I mean, my mom was always playing, especially my mom, both my parents, but my mom especially was always playing great music. There's a ton of George Harrison and Leon Russell. Oh, nice! All the time. Nice. And and the Bee Gees for cleaning. <laughs> you know, just house, while just while she's was, cleaning. Yeah, yeah. Housework days. We would. The Bee Gees are specific to cleaning. It was great. We should put the Bee Gees on and how, away we go. Well, I wonder why the Bee Gees in particular. It's upbeat generally. It's, up, it's upbeat. It's uplifting. You're doing horrible work. You need something upbeat yeah. in the background. Yeah, it's yeah. steady. And rhythmic, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and those brothers give, I mean. No, they also talk about singing. Holy jeez. I don't even know how they did it. It's pretty outrageous, too. The Beatles were practically brothers, I always like to pretty think. Pretty much. There's something about that that mode or that range of being uh, siblings 
when I think of the like I mean the Beatles thing was they were obviously trying to sing like the Everly Brothers right mm-hmm. so you become more brotherly as you harmonize and also I think the one thing that's lost in the story with them not to go back to the Beatles but I don't think people quite understand like where those guys were coming from especially Ringo George and Paul like Liverpudlian yeah. poverty yeah, yeah. in the 40s like I don't think people quite understand like the drive that those guys had to yeah. You to know, make it, they didn't have you know, George and Ringo didn't have running water. You know, they didn't have they didn't have electricity. I mean, it's you know, it's so I think that's sort of lost in the story, which mm-hmm. I think is also like the bond, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, like you know, um, but I was going to say is I remember seeing on great movies one night. Um, there's a documentary, The Complete Beatles. I have that on tape with Malcolm McDowell. I have it recorded. Like, I have a VHS. Yeah. It's one of the first things I taped. When I taped we, it... Yeah, we taped it off the TV, too. I taped it off of PBS, I think. Oh, right on. So I had all the interstitial, like, the Beatles were good. Like, they want to sell you the Beatles. <laughs> but that documentary, I still maintain, is my favorite. Until the anthology. Mm-hmm. I think that was the greatest documentary. Like, I just thought George Martin's figured into it very well. And oh, yeah. Very, very heavily, rather. And I just loved it. And the footage was... Uh, yeah, I think that's a great documentary. And I was... I think I was, was five or six years old when I and I saw the first maybe 15 minutes of it maybe 20 minutes of it yeah and um, the performance in Washington when they're in the round yeah RFK uh, thank you yes. yeah RFK Stadium um, yeah. you know it was like the first date or whatever yeah. of the US tour and that footage of watching Ringo yeah shaking the bandstand I was like give me some of that I'm the same yeah the, I, I was introduced to them by a cousin uh, it's the first music I, I... I don't know if you have a sense of memory of the first thing you heard. It sounds like you do. But the first thing I heard was definitely them. It was a comp, like a rock... Uh, well, they had these Beatles comps, and one of them was called, like, Rock and Roll Music rock Volume music. 1. Volume 1, yeah. of course. Yeah, that was that was the... That was the second one I got. Yeah, that's right. So I, that's the first thing I ever heard. I, so the first thing I remember... I remember watching some TV, like... Uh, are you from Toronto originally? Yes. So you, did you come up on like City Limits, City TV? Absolutely. Much music? Absolutely. I, so, used, to, I used to get up at 5.30 in the morning before school and junior high to watch City Limits. Okay, day. wow. Amazing. Oh, yeah. So I had the same thing. So I remember seeing music videos, but that hearing, the first thing I remember hearing was, was that tape, the Rock and Roll Volume 1. And so, yeah, that's what's got me on this path of listening to music and loving them. Because the, the stuff that I can remember when I really draw my mind back is probably the first music I can really remember is All Things Must Pass. Oh, wow. Harrison. And yeah. This is because of your mom. Yeah, because it was on, you know, like, and when I'm, you know, that big. Yeah. And Leon Russell and George are my mom's favorites. Oh, nice. They really are. So, and then years ago, I I grabbed a copy of, I can't remember what the record's called. Maybe it's called Lady Blue, but the one with the song Lady Blue, uh-huh. Leon Russell yeah. hit. And I hadn't heard that since I was a kid, and I put it on and had like a <laughs> nearly Proustian kind of thing, where it's like, oh, I know, I know all of this. This was this was on in the background. It's a part of you. But it was seeing that Beatles documentary. I remember sort of looking at my folks, being like, "Why haven't you told me about this?" Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. It's like, why, why, why even holding out? Like, <laughs> and then and then they, I think it was the Long Tall Sally compilation, oh, right? Which is like almost a companion to yeah. that rock and roll music. Yeah, um, first, that was that uh, was the first tape. First tape I ever bought from the local Kmart was the Beatles Ballads, which was another. Oh, comp. it's great. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the Beatles were good. The Beatles are a good band, and um, that's what kind of got you into this. Yeah, I mean the the yeah that was the beginning, and you know. Um, Again, like I was into a bit of 
all of it. I don't know. So there, I mean, really getting into because Dylan was the major like that's the real TSN turning point for me. Yeah. I um, mean, I, have you have you seen him? I've seen him a lot. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him six or seven times, I guess, over the years. I've seen him. I saw him on my nineteenth birthday, which was pretty wild. I'm, this is not to be a competitive with you. No, no. But I've lost track. I've seen him sixty times. Oh, far out. Since like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, I mean, he he was I until time out of mind like that whole era when I was like when I discovered him I was probably about nine or ten. Yeah. Um, my brother came home with the LP, the greatest hits, you know, yeah, the classic yeah. blue. Yep. And I remember my family went out, and I just dropped the needle on Subtrain and Homesick Blues because I was like, "Well, that's got to be awesome." And I put, and it was like literally yeah, 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 yeah. eyes spun. It was same. It was same all experience. over. Same, same, and, same exact experience. And um, and know? all I was gonna say is, but from that era, because I didn't really, ha- you know, I was like a little snotty kid, so I didn't have the refined ears to like what he was doing from the late '80s until the late 90s i just didn't have the ear for it then it was it just seemed like he was a shell of huh of what he was right and time out of mind was cool i mean the reason why i haven't seen him so many times is it's so 50 50 and the last time i saw him it was so fantastic that i try to just leave it at that hmm. so the last time i saw neil young it was it was just one of the best concerts i've ever seen in my Which, life where did you see him I went to Kingston oh, okay. with um, with Wolfgang Nessel, uh, Monty Mazzanani, if you know Monty, and his wife Jill Aston. Great people. Monty, um, Monty works with Michael Snow. Oh, okay. And just some of the nicest folks. And, and Monty's father, Jim, who's just a total mensch. Nice. We drove to Kingston because I think it was a tour where he skipped Toronto. He kind of, I think he went around Toronto. It was something like that. Was he with anyone? Was he with Crazy Horse? Was he by himself? Well, no. It was him, um, Ch- uh, Cromwell, Chad Cromwell playing drums, Rick Rosas playing bass, yeah. and it was the last tour with Ben Keith. And Ben Keith is my favorite pedal steel player, pretty yeah. much. Him and Red Rhodes are pretty much my, my guys. And it was General Admin in Kingston, so... And oh, Wolfgang and I had general admin t- seats, and they had seats. Okay, okay. And we just walked in. We were the only really psychedelic people in the place. Um, <laughs> it was great, and we we didn't push it through really, but we got right to the front. And I was as far away from you as we were from Ben yeah. Keith the whole show. Yeah, and it was like a per- it was a perfect concert. I had my similar view, uh, similar configuration at the Air Canada Center, uh, oh. which is now the whatever the arena, the big arena is. You know what? It must have been the it must have been the same tour. Well, when I saw him, Wilco was opening. Okay, so it was like a, I think I went to two nights of it at oh. the Toronto Big Arena in Toronto, and Wilco were opening both shows. They must have been opening that tour. And, uh, yeah, he did, like, a day in the life. Like, he did a Beatles song. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was ending shows with yeah, that, yeah. right? So, anyway, I've seen Neil a bunch, too. I, you, you, uh, we're talking about Bob and Neil and rock, the Beatles and rock. rock and, yeah. But, I mean, that's all part of you. And that's that's fair. But you mentioned the word psychedelic there. Yes. Uh, and you were the only psychedelic people at the show. And I want to home in on that a little bit because I feel like I really came to know of you because of this band you have, The Cosmic Range. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. Uh, you work with my friend Max Turnbull, mm-hmm. 
whom I've gotten to know, he used to go uh, play as uh, Slim Twig. Yeah, Max is so, amazing. Right. So uh, tell me about, we were talking about early Beatles, uh, mm-hmm. playing the harmonica, getting into multi-instrumental stuff. It does seem to me that that late 60s period of that band, or maybe mid-60s period for the Beatles, and psychedelic music in general, and the culture, cultural aspects of psychedelia, that seems to be a big part of you on some level. Is that fair? Is that too much of a pigeonhole? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a pigeonhole. I mean, all that stuff has had a huge impact. I mean, you know, um, I always go back to Michael Caroli from Cannes, he, you know, before he passed away. He was like, psychedelic music, all good music is psychedelic music. That's fair. And, um, I mean, one thing I think is a real... I mean, our, I mean, our generation is... We are now reaping what we sowed um, by people, all the tribalism, all these definitions. Um, yeah. And the know, requisite orthodoxy that accompanies Yeah, it. the uniforms, yeah. the terrible attitude. This is also why our generation can't honor anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of why we are losing everybody, but that's a whole other digression. Yeah. Um, but this is part of it. And so psychedelic to me, um, you know, Buddy Holly's psychedelic to me. Sure. Um, you know, Cecil Taylor psychedelic, uh, box pretty psychedelic. Um, you know, what is okay? So let's let's get to that. What is psychedelic? As much as it's it's something that's open ended as a term, and you're citing all these examples that people would otherwise assume are disparate. Mm-hmm. What does that term mean to you? And I only invoke it because the cosmic range to me blew my mind. And I feel like that's what psychedelia kind of does. I guess that's what I'm saying is anything that, like going back to the, say, going back to the the 60s, where some of this nomenclature sort of comes from. Yeah. You know, people forget about, you know, rock and roll, what that term means, and then beat music. People forget about these, some of of this terminology. And so there's, there was beat music, and then there became like psychedelic music, you know? And to me... It's sort of it's like music for the mind and the body. Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of like right. you know, free your ass, you know, and your mind will follow, or free to... your mind, your ass will follow, vice versa. Right. And so, you know, you know, you saying your mind was blown by something is that's like that that's 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 exactly not the idea, but you know, because um, music is is an abstract form in. Every in every permutation, it's you know it and dance. I mean, they are abstract arts. Even in its structured form, even in its most structured yeah. form, they are inherently abstract. Right, you can't touch it. It doesn't really exist. So, so to me, it's you know not to get too, you know, high, highfalutin or anything about this, but that to me is part of this stuff. And I also I don't really believe in like high art, low art. I don't really believe in any of that stuff. Um, I think that was a total disaster for our generation, Hmm. completely. Snobbiness? Snobbiness, and then this notion of tearing down hierarchy. And I'm all for that in a lot of places, absolutely. But it's like if you tear down the hierarchy completely, and then it's, you know, it's like the Bill Evans uh, quote about free jazz, that the danger with it out of the hands of people who have things to say 
and who have refined palates, essentially, or being able to acknowledge that someone runs faster than you. I mean, I used to play sports a bit when I was younger, and I learned by getting my nose broken and stuff, you know, odd time here or there, or breaking bones, that there's always someone faster, there's always someone smarter, there's always someone better looking, there's all these things, and accepting that as part of, especially in, in art, and knowing that that's part of it, and being able to honor the people that are beyond you. Right. It's like, you know, like I know I'll never really be as good as Simone Schmidt or Jennifer Castle. Right. They're like, find me better songwriters. Right. Find me better songwriters anywhere, period. Um, or Megan. You know, I put those three as like the th- my three like... Meg Remy. Meg Remy, yes. U.S. Girls, yeah. U.S. Girls, pardon me. Um, and, you know, that's... <sighs> I think that this is a, a big part of what ended up happening. So then everybody ended up in this tribal place, as I said earlier. It became, you know, all this like cultural baggage with stuff instead of it being like, uh, you know, just people, you know, getting into good music. What, kind, know, of, what kind of baggage? Um, you know, I just remember growing up like Mike, Mike, Mike Smith from the Cosmic Range, mm-hmm. who's my oldest friend. Oh, I know Mike. Yeah, yeah Mike's my <laughs> oldest friend. You know, we've been friends for... We're getting close to 30 years. Oh, wow. With each other. And there's no better, I mean, there's no better musician I've ever met still to this day. Yeah. Michael is unheralded in so many ways, but he's, yeah. he's the best. Yeah. And, um, you know, he and I really bonded in that time period. We met in the early nineties and we bonded over just, I mean, we're kind of both jokers in a way. Um, but you know, being able to be into a bit of everything, um, you know, the hardcore, post-punk, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, I just, I have zero traction for me in any of that stuff at all. And um, I thought the attitude with all those people was repulsive. Huh. And they ended up with the world, the exact world that they deserve, unfortunately. And um, Which is what? You know, people complaining on the internet, uh, people, you know, having, having no culture. Huh. Huh. You know, um, also those people looking in all the wrong places, because I also think that things are a million times better now than they were in, in the 60s and 70s. Culturally, hmm. there are like, it's like a 10 to 1 ratio of amazing people now than there were then. It's just that people refuse to see it. They refuse to honor it. Hmm. Um, those post-punk people you're talking about, I mean, a lot of their opinions were shaped by... Uh, like the politics of it. So I'm saying the baggage or whatever. And sure. I'm just talking about music. So I don't want to talk about politics okay, at all. Okay, I understand. Um, I just, it's just, who cares? Well, I mean, your new album mm-hmm. is called Upper Canada mm-hmm. Blues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that evokes a kind of socio-political discussion on some level in this country, in Canada. Mm-hmm. What, does that, what does that title mean to you? I mean, a few things. I mean, I mean all my work... You know, if you if you go back and you you know I've I've always tried to um, write about or base my work on my actual life. You know that's even sort of what I was saying about trying to you know trying. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously a work in progress, but trying to deal with what's in front of me rather than what's beyond, right? Which is even sort of what I was saying about a lot of our kind of generation it's like it's like it's like so when is anything going to ever be good enough you know i mean and i'm not talking about kids now i'm not talking about that like we're we're middle-aged you know uh, without dating ourselves yeah sure. you know but um you know even that david berman stuff we were talking about earlier without digressing into that yeah. but 
Um, you know, so for myself, um, you know, in the last 10, 12 years, I guess, I just started making sure that I was writing about my actual environment and where we're sitting right now. You know, we could walk to Upper Canada College in about 15 or 20 minutes. And I didn't grow up where we are right now. Um, I grew up further north up here, mm-hmm. sort of right by the border, North Toronto and North York, when, okay. the, when those are still sure. you know, pre-amalgamation or whatever. So, you know, the shadow of Upper Canada College was always a real thing. Um, the, you know, there was always a, uh, you know, people trying to be upwardly mobile. Is that the, what they call it? Like, you know, like seeking affluence. What is the, what is the, um, what is that school known for? Um, it's very much a, it's like a, uh, it's like a boys school. Um, a very affluent boys' school, like a boarding school type thing, a private school. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and it was sort of the place where you know the most affluent people um, went. And you know, in this neighborhood, is very strange, especially when we were growing up, because Michael, Mike, and I, Mike Smith, um, we, we grew up not too far from each other. And, you know, our parents were all, like, lower middle class, but you could walk two blocks and there's there's a mansion. Right. And, you know, none of that's... It, it, was, it was quite illuminating because you got to meet all kinds of people, shapes, sizes, colors, from people from everywhere. It's great. But it was sort of... Uh, you could feel it, you know. There was... There were very clear boundaries. Right. And, um, you know, places you could pass through, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like if I was to go down to Synology Studios, where uh, I work with Jeff McMurrich, to get there from here, I have to go through Forest Hill. Which is an a- another affluent. Another incredibly yeah. affluent, beyond Tony neighborhood in the city, which is, again, it's like we could walk there in 15 or 20 minutes. Right. So... So part of this record, not to digress too much, but part of this record, I guess, in naming it Upper Canada Blues, was being back up here, uh, you know, as I said, sort of a, you know, after being renovated. Out of necessity. Out of necessity. In, yeah. You know, and now in this neighborhood, it has gone from being sort of a quiet suburb, which is sort of how North Toronto the the village uh, you know cause yeah. it was it's very much a place you know that's sort of what it was it was like a suburb in the city and it is now a bustling condominium filled construction nightmare and it's sort of ramped up that um or it feels like at least it's ramped up that um affluent or um aspirational affluent sort of scene so you combine that with the fact that we are in old upper canada i mean this is where this is where we live yeah so i mean the record isn't i wouldn't say it's inherently political but we all know that everything has a touch of it and so you know i don't know making like a soul kind of blues like a soul record in a way for lack of a better term um i don't know i mean rock and roll soul i don't know um, yeah, it, um, I don't. I mean, I think you've referenced Jesse Davis as an influence, right? Yeah, a huge and influence on me. I hear a little Harry Nilsson. I hear a little John Lennon. You know, I hear yeah. Lowell like, George was a yeah. huge influence right. on this record. And also growing up here, especially in the '90s, I mean, there was a big part of you know this is the bond I'm sure with with Mike and myself and a lot of our friends from then is. 
all of our parents were like old hippies, basically, in some degree or another, who, who you know, like a friend of mine's mom bought her house up here in the 1971 for, you know, 30 grand. Mm. And it's I'm probably per- worth a million now. Uh, more than that. Yeah, yeah. I th- you know, and so it was, so like I said, it was like, you know, people who were just living a, you know, quiet, sm- small life. Mm-hmm. So there was, and there was a real, like, kind of hippie culture up here that we weren't really wired into either. We may, maybe into the music, but it wasn't part of, like, our, you know, uh, it, you know, again, we were, we were we listening to everything. Like Mike, Mike introduced me to jazz when I was thirteen. And if memory serves, the first thing he ever asked me about was Eric Dolphy. Right. You know, I mean, he was hyped. He was so advanced. It was it was be, it was it was amazing. So, but all I was going to say is the hippie culture. There was a huge deadhead thing here, but like kind of the um, the upper middle class sure variant you know and very very, the the people that and you know the people that basically created uh that pushback against uh classic rock you know the people that were so didactic about it who were so narrow-minded right you know i mean the deadheads we used to meet then because we were all i mean we we had to keep it to ourselves that we were you're into those records right because it was like a social disease and the people that were into it were absolutely repulsive at least the people we encountered right it took me until i met a lot of my friends in the states you know matt and erica my friends in woods where it felt like like a breath of a breath of fresh air because those records were scorned but it was truly just because of the the fans it was one of those things so so anyway this it relates to this record i think in kind of taking on those tropes because that was very much the environment up here you know sort of yeah the allman brothers and it's like all right well make like a classic you know we made a classic rock influenced record right um I don't know. It just seemed to fit somehow in my mind, you know, but Vortex it, Records that was here. Right. It's like we all, you know, a ton of us. It was um, my friend Matt Pollock. You know, it was a lot of us that it really informed our culture because right. we were able to go and buy all these records we're talking about, you know, for a couple bucks. I mean, it was an incredible thing. So I feel like maybe that's part of it going back into my you know it's like what was the foundational stuff yeah i'm trying to wrap my head around you in terms of your political stance because you made this comment about post-punk and people complaining you've invoked the hippies uh you've invoked the deadheads which is a different kind of hippie Mm -hmm. uh you've talked about some of the things informing your sense of self and identification in upper canada and I feel like some of the things you're talking about in terms of – and so so you have – there's an overt political aspect to what you're doing, I think. However, you seem resistant to the notion of complaining, and I just wonder about the relationship between complaining – and I'm putting it in air quotes mm-hmm. – and being outspoken, being someone who wants to – complain as a form of protests to to make things better to improve things to to speak out because i i just want to and maybe i'm being facile about this mm-hmm. but i'm just trying to draw a connection between some of the things you're saying i guess i'm just more talking about um you've also said the music is just the music on some level yeah i mean i guess maybe all i'm saying with that is um is because i'm you know i'm speaking in relation to music i guess what i'm saying this to like yeah 
So, you know, um, like I, I do think you do you think of your musical expression, whether you're talking about an election or something like do you think of you what you do as being some kind of inherently political statement? Um, I mean, I don't I, I don't nec- I mean, I don't think of I don't th- you don't think of it that way. I but- don't know. I don't really put my I mean, hmm. that being said, um, take the cosmic range. Yeah. Um, also, I'll say this, too. I mean, with a lot of the music. It's like, um, you know, take Poem Unlimited, which which me and a lot of the... Co- the U.S. Co- Girls record? The U.S. Girls record that me and the Cosmic Range worked on. You know, um, you know, some people asked me about that record, and I was like, about on a, sort of on a political level. And I was like, I don't have, really have anything to say. You can just listen to the record. It's like, you know, just listen to the record. That's all I can sort of say about that one, at least. But take the Cosmic Range. The way I run the Cosmic Range, as best I can... <laughs> How many people are in the Cosmic Range? There's there's eight of us and Jeff McMurch producing. So there's base there's basically nine of us. Okay, and um, you know, um, everyone's paid the same. I give everyone the same publishing. Yeah, we, it's it's truly egalitarian and a collective endeavor. Well, I, I mean, what's it's truly egalitarian. Okay, and. Everyone's treated the same, and everyone's treated completely, specifically how they are. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Sure, and so um, there's no scheming. <laughs> sure, there's no. Um, this is part of um, me bringing these people together. Um, you know, it's like my, you know, it's like my favorite people here, my favorite musicians to work with, without a doubt, and also some of my favorite people in the world you know I'm sure if I was given the like you know you can take a dozen people on a lifeboat that's it I'm sure they'd all be in the lifeboat okay good (laughs) you know what I'm saying high praise high praise so um, but that's it's sort of you know for myself I'm you know I just I'd prefer just the the behavior and the actions to speak for themselves on a political level however you want to look at that okay so that say you know, it's like so. How do I feel about labor? There you go. That's evident in the way you structure the cosmic range. It's self-evident, and I think that the thing that I can bring to the equation is music and art. You know, I think that making beautiful things is a really important thing. Do you think it has efficacy in sort of the way we, as a society, as we uh, the way we behave, the way we think? Do you think music and art has that power? I mean, maybe that's what I was saying to, about complaining is that I feel like a lot of people... I spent a lot of years working in record stores, Vish. Oh. Yes. Which stores? Um, if, I, if I might ask. Several. Okay. Um, in, I, in, in Toronto. I, yeah, I did I did a tenure at HMV, and I got to work with amazing people. Um, like the big one? Like no, I worked on Bloor Street, oh, okay. Holt Renfrew there. Okay. I got to meet Jeremy Strawn, nice. who is just one of... <laughs> One of my oldest friends, actually. And one of the most amazing people. That's how I know of you. Yeah. Mr. Oh. Jeremy. Oh, okay. Um, I think I first spotted your visage at Rocket's Red Glare shows. Oh, okay. Um, nice. Who I thought were the best band. They were amazing. They yeah. were the best band in the country at the time, for, yeah. without a doubt. I yeah. mean, they were, you know, head and shoulders. It was astonishing, you know. Um, was Rocket's Red Glare a post-punk band? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Does it matter? <laughs> it just. I'm somewhat fixated on that. Sorry, I don't mean. I to ju- be. No, I don't. Well, I mean, maybe hardcore is maybe more the. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I just. I'm so. I, not to go back to it, but I grew up 
on jazz, Bob Dylan, country blues. Me too. So um, a lot of suburban people (laughs) grinding their teeth, you know, because we got to understand Steve Cato is one of my very best friends. Okay. You know, I met Steve a year after Mike. Um, I love Steve. Um, Steve's an amazing person and Steve someone I feel like Steve's been on the show Steve was on the show yeah we a, lo- talked, a long time yeah, back, a long time right? ago we talked about blocks recording club which he which was another egalitarian enterprise yeah, yeah. Um, they actually did cooperative things um, you know um, accepting a lot of stuff I mean I'm a big uh, like Roz talks the Gary was it Gary Panthers yeah yeah the the manifesto yeah um, you know it's like I believe in that stuff um, it's really, it's, you know, you have to take care of y- your people. You yeah. Know? And that's part of this stuff. I mean, also I should say the other, I mean, I'm a, a big part of Meg Remy and I's friendship or connection is, is being like total film junkies. Yeah. Um, cause I also, I was going to say when you asked, we got a little digress like I also paint and I do a lot of photography there I do, you go. I do yeah. a lot of photography and I always thought I'd become a camera operator I always thought that because I always knew that I'd be doing this sort of slightly off music stuff Mike and I we knew this since we were kids we yeah. always um, you know it might be apocrypha or it might be a murky memory but I remember he because his mother was just she's an amazing lady mm. great lady supportive um, very supportive and his, he, she was very familiar with the music world. Let's put it that way. And um, just Lynn is one of the kindest people I've ever met. And um, she's a really good drummer, too. Oh. Um, she would jump on the tubs and play leopard skin pillbox hat. Oh, nice. Pretty impressed. She could swing. Nice. Um, and I remember one night, because we'd sit around and listen to records and drink some wine. And we were listening to, if memory serves, at least in my memory, it's uh, the first Rikuda record that Van Dyke Parks produced with yep, him. Yep. And I remember listening to a track and, and we were probably 20 or 21 years old and we were very into country music at that point. So he and I both learned to play the banjo and mandolins and we were also huge band fans. That's the other part of the multi-instrumental. When Mike and I met, he introduced me to those guys because I'd, I'd heard the music through Dylan. Yeah. But he introduced me to that and Richard Manuel and Rick Danko. I mean, Richard's probably one of my absolute top favorite musician i made a point of going to find richard's uh richard's grave in stratford yeah um in 2001 i took my who i didn't know at all at the time really but my now wife and i were both doing school and we had to go to stratford to see one of the plays and i said before we go to the play and it was pouring rain i took her and my, our <laughs> other friend and i'm like we have to find this grave i was just so obsessed with the band at the time and i named my son after Levon helm oh so I, i'm a big we have a lot in yeah, common yeah we got a lot in common yeah sorry so no no um um and i digress there just to say that i remember we were listening to a Cooter record i think it was my old kentucky home if memory serves and i remember she laughed and she was like if it was 1970 you guys would be millionaires Right, with the music you make. Yeah, but then she was like, but never forget, you know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, it's a very old memory, but it was something to the effect of, like, it's not, it's not 1970. Yeah. Like, you got the memo, like, this isn't 1970, like, don't think, don't expect, like, time changes everything, and Um. if you can't get that clocked, especially with the art, you're going to be a very unhappy person, you know, and um, so anyway, I mean, so... 
my digression to this was talking about photography because yeah. I got very into to cinematography when I was a teenager um, and probably you know probably a third of my life's been spent watching movies and the biggest impact on me still I mean I've been kind of drawing my mind back to the things that were really formative was discovering Cassavetes yeah. and Rollins yeah. right. and their entire universe and I discovered that incredibly early mm-hmm. I saw Killing of a Chinese Bookie late one night when I was probably 10 years old hmm. um, we still watch a lot of inappropriate things I didn't even know what it was until years later right? and you know, getting into that stuff when I was probably 15 or 16. And again, this egalitarian homemade thing. You know, we, this is homemade art. Rather you know? authentic, a little yeah. bit verite. Yeah, and just like, it's like, but also for me it was, there's there's a great interview with him from French television. Was it Cineaste de Temps? Uh, like, you know, filmmakers of our times. And it's when they were making faces. And him talking about doing it for their delectation. Right, right. And and not in some selfish way, but it's like we are doing this for ourselves and our friends, and this is what we're doing. This, we, this is what we love. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And there's a f- funny line from him, because they lost, you know, I think Woman Under the Influence cost $300,000 to make, and it made like $50 right. in the week that it played. Right. Literally. And, you know, he's like, it cost me $300,000, and I'll spend $300,000 again on the next one. Like, I don't care. This is what I do. This is what we do. Right. And that always really stuck with me. And so, to me, that's, that's very political. <laughs> it is. And, that's and, and in that's and of what, itself. So I, so, I guess that's what I'm saying. And then with the music itself, because, um, again, I mean, I guess, you know, especially like when we were growing up, I mean, it was... Um, you know, the grunge era, yeah. hardcore. I mean, this is a repulsive culture to me. Right. Like, utterly repulsive. Um, there was never, you know, like, I'm good friends with Damien, Abraham. Right. You know, I, I've known Damien since we were 16. But there was, I never found, um, I also, I, I burned through my punk rock phase when I was 11, 12 years old. So, you know, it's a bunch of people screaming and making a bunch of racket. It was like, well... I was listening to Ornette Coleman records, and not to sound like like snobby in myself, but it just seemed rather absurd, and it seemed rather a classless, frankly. Um, you know, it's like it just it net, there was very little re, you know resonance. Um, you know, especially when you're listening to you know listen to Bill Evans. Well, you know, it's it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it was hard to, and also it didn't seem any fun. Hmm. You know, like guys, I love rock and roll, and um, I will, I will meet you there, and pop. I, I mean, will meet you there. There are aspects of punk and hardcore or post-hardcore that didn't. I always had fun in those zones, uh, but people would notice me having fun and say, "I noticed you were smiling while you were playing that song," and that's not normal. And and so, like that was yeah. This something, is this is anathema to me. Yeah, this is like. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This yeah. is like cultural genocide. Right. <laughs> like this is nuts. Right. And it's really, and, and this is how, you know, this is, this is, you know, it was, it was just repellent to me. So, I think so the psychedelic thing, I guess. Right. You know, which again, it just sort of became like, and this, this goes back to my connection with a lot of the Americans where um, it was, you could, I could deal with people where you could take in, a whole satellite world of things. That was that was even a huge part of meeting Jeremy Strawn. Yeah. Because Jeremy and I could talk about, you know, Don Caballero and Captain Beefheart and Doc Boggs. <laughs> Freedom. And, you're, I think there's something, the, the principle or common element to everything that you're into is that you, those artists and yourself, are really invested in experiencing freedom of spreading the word about freedom, mm-hmm. you know, suggesting that it is possible to be truly free. Yeah, and also trying to not be didactic about it. Exactly. And trying to, you know, one freedom thing... Freedom means different things to different people. The one thing I learned from, you know, not to get in, not you know, but one thing I learned a long time ago is, you know, trying to tell people what to do is a big waste of time. Yeah. And, you know... um, and maybe maybe that's sort of what I'm saying about a lot of this stuff where it's sort of like, you know, um, also having a bunch of like skinheads, like angry skin, white skinheads. Yeah. You know, trying to tell me that, that, that whatever garbage they're listening to is better than Sly Stone is absurd. Sure. It was absurd when I was 15 years old yeah. and it's absurd now. Right. And, you know, also how um, people... You know, put up real lines around a lot of things, you know, and in a completely um, self-destructive way. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, and all, all the reason I bring up complaining is I just feel like like stuff we were talking about before we came on, just just how people aren't honoring a lot of stuff right now. Because like I said earlier, I mean, like I could sit here and just enumerate artists to you. We could, we, I mean, we talk for an hour, and these are people that are at least, if not better, than their antecedents. Yeah, that's part of my thing with David Berman. I mean, Berman, like, there aren't really antecedents, first of all, because it was such a by his own and by by his own observation, there weren't people who really followed him to push him out of the realm he'd created. Well, uh, yeah, and I was just going to say about him is. Um, I mean, he is he is peerless, very much so. Because I will say, in his passing, revisiting the work and reading it as you listen, yeah, there there aren't other songwriters that really go there. The only some of Joni's stuff from the mid seventies is quite readable, but not as consistent as him. Yeah, you know, it's as rigorous as Christopherson or any of the or Towns, and yet, you know. Uh, it's. I mean, it was such a such a deep work, and not to say that this is somehow all of our failing, but it's like I don't understand. 
how people just this isn't good enough <laughs> yeah. well yeah you and I connected again recently for this tribute to David uh, in Toronto which uh, I appreciated you inviting me to take part mm-hmm. in and absolutely you're the first person I thought of it's nice it's it's kind of you to do so and um, I will say I said it I think that night that we we and, and I'm trying to jump springboard from what you were just saying before you brought up David to mm. how I felt about David and how I've been feeling about David since we had this really impactful evening together uh, in Toronto with everybody. Loving David, because he didn't tour very much, and I think because he put out his records, and um, in, in fact, I was in love with this guy and his work, having never seen him mm-hmm. for years, mm-hmm. for years, just for years and years. It was maybe uh, 11 years since I first heard his voice on a record, and before I got to see him play live, and that's not normal. And so it became this very... I was just used to liking David in a very solitary way. There wasn't a social dynamic to it. A few friends and, and I would talk about David and Silver Jews. And, but there is something... Like when we had that night together and people were reading his poems out loud, which I never... I've read his poetry by myself. I've listened to his music mostly by myself. To interject one thing, yeah. the standout, I, I don't have the program yeah the, the the woman from edinburgh yeah who read i feel like that was that really put it over for me it, it was, was it was just powerful the, anyway so the notion of feeling like i i've just sort of come to expect that certain people who are great are not going to be appreciated until they're gone mm-hmm. and so when david left we all felt that like he didn't feel we don't know what he was thinking, yeah, obviously, we, but we, uh, he was sort of saying in his interviews, you know, I've got 10 fans. Like, there's 10 people who've told me they like me in mm-hmm, my life. Mm-hmm. And he was feeling, which can't be true, I don't think, but um, I think that you're on to something there on a, on a, I don't know, philosophical level as something going on within us where we need to really praise the people that deserve it. Well, my friend John Maloney, who... Um, John, um, he's been the leader of Sunburned Hand of the Man out of the East Coast. John's John's one of my favorite people I know. Um, very, very insightful, very funny man. And I think he said this in The Wire magazine 15 years ago. He referred to it as the arm folder generation. Hmm. And I remember laughing with him about this a couple years ago. And talking about how, because again, I'm not talking about kids. Like I'm not, if, you know, like I'm not talking about it, kids it, right now. Like I'm not talking about I'm, our generation. I'm talking about our generation yeah. exactly. I'm just trying to let the listeners know that I'm not like some old fart complaining about kids. It's the furthest thing from it with this. But our generation, that everyone came to events, they would fold their arms, and the joke John and I made, or John made, really was that everyone stands there, they watch what's happening on stage, and say, I could do that. Right. If I had X, Y, Z. And um, especially the sort of more academic-y part of things, which we experience a lot here. You know, it's part of the Canadian thing, which mm-hmm. is part of why I radiate more to the set down south. Yeah. Um, it's sort of just more about work. Um, I look at all this very, very blue collar too, and I don't mean that as I'm some working class hero sitting in my, you know, Tony apartment in Midtown Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but um, that's always how I've looked at it. So maybe even all that baggage, like I'm not putting all this stuff, you know, I'm not, I, it's like me putting out Upper Canada Blues that isn't that, that isn't my entire identity being foisted on the world. Right. That isn't, that isn't, that isn't how it works for me. It's, it's, it's work. You work for the music, you work for the songs, you do as best you can, and then you move along rather than it having all these other things going on. Also, people don't have, you know, I, you know, humor is a big part of my world too. You, you know, you ha- I, and not to say that people shouldn't be completely bent right now. Like, I think anyone's justified in yeah, it's, in almost any state of mind at this it's point. Rough out there, it is. But it's um, as but again, talking about from the creative place, it's like the. I mean, my friend Wolfgang Nessel, uh, who I mentioned earlier, Wolfgang and uh, his partner Victoria Chong. Um, who goes by New Chance, um, who makes amazing music. And Victoria's a fantastic artist yeah. and just does awesome stuff. Yeah. But they ran um, Healing Power Records, which was a small imprint here in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's continuing. It's definitely in, you know, chill. I know they haven't put anything out in a while. But they represented a lot of the underground here. And Wolfgang and I used to present a lot of events. We did a festival here in 2006 called the bummer in the summer oh yeah yeah named after the arthur lee song Mm -hmm. also the opening night of the festival was the day arthur lee died which was a completely cosmic strange cosmic happenstance which there isn't you know (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) um, but wolfgang and i from the very beginning going back to that period um we always just talked about and with our friend marco landini um, who helped us with that festival and Iris Fraser, the filmmakers, yeah. and Aaron Lumley. There was a gang of us, about five or six of us who really put that together. But we talked about just creating the option that that is sort of the fundamental to this, which I think in and of itself is a very political act yeah. without it being overtly political, you know, uh, without having to like smash people over the head with it. It's like, no, it's up to us to create an option for people to radiate to. Because right. I sort of how I see this stuff without being a complete flake with you know hair to my behind, <laughs> um, but that's sort of what this stuff is. Also, that attitude from the '90s, the like the grumpy, too cool for school snob thing, was it was ludicrous to me. It's still ludicrous to me. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Right. Um, my, I mean, that was a huge part of Mike and I's bond. I mean, we just couldn't believe it. The self seriousness of the whole trip, um, especially with someone like Mike, who you know. I mean, Mike's, you know, without being hyperbolic, I mean, Michael is, Michael's the finest musician. Like, there's no one better. Yeah. Like, I can literally, I mean, you know, I can, I can futz around with some of these things. I can, I can play a few instruments well, but he is, he's on a whole other level. And he's a, he's like a symphonic person. Yeah. So a bunch of people, you know, I don't know, just a bunch of, a bunch of rather affluent people being cheesed off. And that being their like cultural trip and then kind of tearing down people who are, you know, who are demonstrably better than them, you know, like take Rocket's Red Glare, you know, um, I remember seeing those guys play for the first time and I didn't sit there and gnash my teeth being, being like, oh my, they make, you know, aren't I, aren't I such a loser? I don't see it that way. It's like, wow, look at what they're making. Yeah. yeah. Let's tell, let's tell everyone we know. Right. This is an amazing thing to behold. And, you know, um, 
I mean, this is endemic of people, and this isn't just... But I think that this stuff really got ratcheted up during during the 90s, into the aughts. And then people also kept... It's like, you know, people are still reading the New York Times. I mean, it's like mind-bending to me. What do you mean? Like, it's it's crazy. Like these, I don't know, just stuff that's so... It's so... It'd be, it'd be like me complaining about, like, can you believe that Rolling Stone is no good? You know, it'd be like kvetching about that. It's like, yeah, these places, these things... These 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 outlets have been rubbish for decades, right? And right. yet, everyone still goes back to the well, and you know, it's like it's like everyone watching the least bad thing on Netflix. I understand, and it's like you know, Charlemagne Palestine's still alive. <laughs> like Marion Zazila and yeah, Lamont right. Young are still alive. David Hammonds right. is still alive. Right? Why are we not like David Hammonds is still alive? Why are we <laughs> stuck on William Eggleston? Yeah, is still alive. Why are we not celebrating them? Like Robert Frank died last week, right? And, and I mean, it's like I mean, and then everyone, it's like everyone bloviates about all this stuff, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, ninety-four-year-old guys do die, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it sort of gets into this thing where it's like, well, yeah, um, maybe maybe you should have like. Maybe people, you know, Henry Flint lives. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Right. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, people, you know, I mean, it's maybe also, let's be honest too, the, the, the wealth of stuff coming to the surface in the last 15 years because there is no underground anymore. Right. The, the underground was a rat is like is gone. Um, if you want to read a good little uh, bit on that, David Keenan, who uh, the, the novelist, yeah, now um, who wrote England's Hidden Reverse, the book on Coil and all that, um, you know, Nurse with Wound, um, who's a major wire contributor. He and his wife Heather Lee, who's one of, I mean, Heather Lee's one of the best musicians. Out there, she plays with Peter Brotman, just oh, pedal okay. steel player. Okay, um, she was in Cher Lambides, the Texas psychedelic band with Tom and Christina Carter. Hmm. Um, amazing people. But Heather Lee and David ran um, a distro slash record store called Volcanic Tongue in Glasgow, and um, Volcanic Tongue was it was it was like I mean it was one of the most important public services anyone's done. In the last several decades, it was David would, you know, every week there would be an update on what they were carrying in the store. And I mean, I think David wrote a couple million words in the end about underground records over a 10 year period, eight huh. to 10 year period. And they were the place to, to get real underground records when that was still a thing, when you could, right. you could exist and you could, and, um, and between the internet and just all the the mitigating financial problems with the you know early 21st century they folded up about 5 years ago 4 okay. or 5 years ago and he wrote uh, an essay in the wire called subtrain homesick blues which was about him and thurston talking about how there was no underground anymore right so i was all i was going to say about that is you know this flood of stuff you know all the things that were once completely hidden you know it's like the you know theater of the theater of the eternal music uh, or the theater of eternal music um the lamont young stuff i mean you you couldn't you know you could 
root around and sniff it out. And it was incredibly hard to hear any of that stuff. You know, there was right. micro editions then. Even on file sharing, you can hear any of that music. You can walk into any record store in the world and buy that stuff now for $40. It's all, you know, it's like uh, a lot of the Japanese stuff. Is this good or bad? Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think access is incredible. Yeah. It's like, take, take, uh, take uh, Max Turnbull. I met Max, I guess Max was probably 15 years old when I met him. I was working at um, CD Replay on Young Street beside the old Uptown Theater uh, Young and Bloor in Toronto and it was me and a couple guys and um, a bunch of high school girls were at the store and one who one of whom was Simone TB the drummer who was in a band called Tropics with Max Turnbull That's and right. Simone plays with all kinds of people he plays a partner and Simone Schmidt in those bands and Simone TB is just still one of my best friends she's, she's my drummer now Darlene Shrug Darlene Shrug thank you I mean it's like you know I'm trying to put all together but, but Simone and Max are on this show together actually oh right on yeah yeah and um, yeah and Simone's been playing all the shows I've been doing for these LPs right it's been it's been amazing and we hit it off instantly and they were like 15 16 year old kids and meeting them then this is probably i don't know 0405 something like that somewhere in that zone and and me, i met anthony nemet who works in that crew tony goes by tony price yeah, yeah. um he works, works with, with ben cook yeah ben cook and yeah. and he works with meg remy as well right. Um, Anthony and Anthony recorded um, Upper Canada Blues and the Some Horses Run album that I put out last year. And meeting all of those kids, um, you know, it was amazing because this was, you know, file sharing was happening. I think YouTube had surfaced or I, I can't remember if it was there yet. I was I was pretty out of all that stuff. I mean, I just got a mobile like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I know. We've been but, trying to connect. I yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and meeting them and how versed they were in the German music, the British progressive stuff, you know, heavy stuff. I, mean, I was just kind of blown away, and and I was I could I could see the access and being like, okay, so the people that are going to get into this now are going to get all the way in you know they're gonna get up to their armpits which it, which we couldn't really you know i mean we could find some of those records but i'm still buying records now that i've been looking for since i was 13 years old right and they're available they're more readily available now yeah i mean but stuff that like they only existed in our imagination a lot of times it's like you was reading lists um and now we literally anything we could walk on YouTube and boot it up and listen to it. And I mean, I think it's overwhelming thing that leads to comfort food. I know it does for me, certainly like when it comes to culture, it's like sitting there being like, a, you know, this endless panoply of stuff. I mean, you know, you can't just live on Ubu web. It's like, it can be a little tiring. Um, well, you know. it also seems to me, and I mean, this might just be my time of life, but I wonder if an artist like David Berman would cultivate the kind of close listening he deserves in this atmosphere when there's just so much you have to keep up with. 
and you know you mentioned the just the level of content that's available to be immersed in is amazing but I go through it all the time like I, I can't in my work I'm just constantly listening deeply as deeply as I can to a record talking to someone like you and then probably moving on whereas as a youth I can still rap every lyric on the first Wu-Tang album because I listen to it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And the same with David or somebody like that or Pavement or whoever. Like I would just... It's again, it's probably a time of life thing. There's probably kids doing that still. But it's interesting because you're we're more conditioned to be omnivores culturally and be on top of every TV show, movie. Like everyone's talking about a thing. I got to do the thing. Like I got it's promotion is so weird now. Um which which see this is maybe what goes back to what I was saying about honoring things because if we leave it up to the to the PR my 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 dad used to always say this. He was like, "See, my dad's been saying this since the like eighties. It's like, is that public relations will win and we will all lose because of it, basically? But it's more insidious now. Well, and here's what I was going to say: they turn PR and we're the PR. Exa- well, exactly on social media talking about Beyonce's new hat. Or well, this, see, this is yeah. what I'm saying. It's like I'm also the way I look at life. Essentially, I mean. You know, by looking at any one thing, you're inherently not looking at everything else. It's the nature of sure. <laughs> a vision. So, as you said, it's like, yeah, if everyone's rubbernecking the same cultural dumpster fire, this is like what's always driven me crazy. Also, I'm voracious. I read, I read the news, like I read, I read three or four newspapers every day, and I probably read five or six music blog paper, whatever, every day. You know who's in the news every day? Every single day, it may, if this doesn't make you want to slit your wrist, nothing will. Weezer, Blink One Eighty Two, and David Bowie—they got a, they got a news story every single day because the machine is on. Yeah. It is set to high, and they will get a news story every single day. And if that doesn't make you want to kill yourself, I don't know what does. Wow. And it's absolutely repulsive. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is all garbage. Bowie was always got some good tracks, but it's like, are you kidding me? Like, are you ab- like, this is I mean it's like a it's like a nightmare yeah um, so the but the flip side of that what you're saying is that what what needs to happen is no I should not say that because I should not say what anything I, I, I should not I, mean, I will not prescribe anything sure but <sighs> good example this summer uh, my friend Kevin Morby who is an old friend of mine and who's just amazing. Um, if you get a chance to see him and his new, his new band, uh, the Oh My God Band, um, it, I mean, it's the best show I've seen probably in a couple years. Um, and one of the most uplifting things I've seen in a very long time. Um, it was a sold-out show at the Hopper House. I was taking some pictures backstage, and I got to look out at the crowd. And... It was a sea of people, all shapes, sizes, colors, ages, a lot of young people, and I got to see people singing along to every word, people crying, and, you know, him, you know, who else? I mean, like, my friend Steve Gunn, um, Meg Baird, like, a lot of people that I know, I'm, I'm checking in on with them about what's going on out there and it's like you know what like 
people are people are down people there's like a real need for this stuff maybe that's what i'm saying about yeah. all this is there's a real need for this stuff and that people need to be like i said earlier like like the bill graham to go back to 60s rock and roll who was the promoter and who basically made the san francisco scene the fillmore yeah the fillmore see i'm i'm really into certain numerical things and statistical stuff sometimes so the fillmore and the avalon are the two rooms he booked um fit like a couple thousand people in them there was like 800,000 people living in san francisco at that point that's it that's it uh-huh they filled those places two, three nights a week, all the time. And part of the deal was, his line was, you blow people's minds. So one person brings two people the next time. Those people spread. And the small is beautiful does slowly grow. Yeah, right. And again, I'm not talking about some huge global takeover. I think this is a big part of the, the sales pitch that happened to our generation. Was it's like, oh, so... You're either a millionaire or you're a, a loser. It was just like total binary. Right. Rather than being like, really, can we just like make some stuff, continue to make some stuff, slowly grow, which is a huge part of me binding with uh, Matt and Erica. Because, I mean, them, my friends Woods, you know, these aren't, these aren't people that are on the cover of magazines. These aren't, you know, and yet they've been doing a small, slow thing. I mean, I always call it clients. An old friend of mine who is a health worker, he always just say to me, he's like, just look at it all as your clients. Right. The, the people that are, and not in like a, like, uh, I'm above you, I'm selling you something, but being like, no, these are my, these are the, you know, so as long as you deal with your clients. And, you know, if you have 50 clients this year and, you got a hundred next year. That's a hundred percent growth. Right. You know, and so I only bring up that Bill Graham stuff too, because take Toronto. I, I've been, I mean, this has been losing me, you know, bookings. Um, but there's six million people in Toronto. There's six million people here. Right. And, you know, it's hard to book a 200-seat venue without a hassle. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the onus is completely on the artist without getting into all this stuff. And that there's nobody who's, like, hyping stuff. That's sort of, I mean, that's sort of what I'm saying. It's like the, the voices who used to be, like, direct your eyes this way. Um, for whatever reason, um, a lot of turkeys got deputized, first of all. Um, I still can't believe some of the people that boiled up to the top. I mean, it's it's just flabbergasting to me. Um, and then people just don't seem to pay attention also to the really great people, like Amanda Petrusich, yeah. you know, uh, Jesse Jarno, you know. Um, you know, there's like there's some really good people out there writing like really powerful, thought-provoking stuff that could really get people into stuff. Right. But... You know, it's um, it doesn't get the eyeballs, even from the people who are supposed to be the people. I mean, that's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like yeah. that was something I learned from record stores. Was like all the people that, you know, talk the biggest talk. It's like gear stuff. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's like it's yeah. like all these guys who had now their homes. You know, rather than being full of trading cards, are now full of modular synths. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like so depressing. Yeah. It's like show me a record. Well, or show me, you know, or show me some joy. Yeah. 
right? Well, I, like that's you know what I'm you know what I mean? It's like I do. I it's do, like I do. it's like you know if you're gonna collect stuff and whatever, go right ahead. Have, but have some joy about it and don't uh, don't lord it over or whatever. Um, I mean, you're for your part, you've been very prolific of late. I mean, we're talking about a record that you made two weeks after finishing your other solo record. <laughs> yeah. There's a Cosmic Range record that came out this year as yeah, well. Yeah, in February. Yeah. So what's next for you? Do you already have a plan? Um, um, there's another songwriter record that Jeff McMurrich and I are just finishing up. Um, hopefully going to be out in the springtime. It's just more... It's more uh, it's more hi-fi, let's put it that way. Oh, okay. It's more, a bit more fastidious, let's put it that way. Um, still recorded here at the house, but um, I think it's a bit of a step up. Um, so I'm just working on that. was in the studio last week, going to be in there later this week. I've been doing um, some recording with my friends from the band Mr. Joy, who are a local band, um, very, very Elephant Six, um, almost Canterbury, um, like sort of Robert Wyatt E in okay. ways. Um, some of the nicest guys I've met in a really long time. Really good spirit. They make a great sound. Um, and I got a real soft spot for um, a lot of that, like Olivia Tremor Control and that stuff. Yeah. And they're really young guys, so it was great. Um, you know, we were working, and I was like, "Oh, this sounds just like." dusk at cubis castle and they didn't know what i was talking about <laughs> which is marvelous which is maybe going yeah. back to what we were saying it's yeah. like people are gonna because you sort of people get to the this place through a million different routes it's sure yeah. you know yeah. and and then it just becomes um because to me it was always about sharing the stuff right like i'm the person that if i ask you like hey you know, you ever seen Casablanca and you say, no, I don't roll my eyes. I'm like, awesome. That means we get to watch Casablanca, right? right? Sure. Like that. Or at least I try, I do my best to imbue that. You right. know, I know I can also be like, you know, I was, I was a terrible grumpy record store guy. I'm still getting over that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, Mr. Joy stuff. So we're working on that. Um, we might call it Dr. Joy. We've been sort of joking about Okay. That. Okay. <laughs> Cause people call me doc. Oh, right. Um, why do they call you doc? You have to ask MV. Okay. MV, uh, MV lays handles on. So you're Matthew, Matthew Doc Dunn is what you go by. Yeah, usually, because I got a lot of credits with just Doc and stuff. So Right. And I respond to, if you yell Matthew or Doc or Dunn at me, those are the three things that will make me turn my head. Okay, got it. Um, so I have that stuff on the horizon. What else? Uh, there's an album called Stonegrass that I made with my friend Jay Anderson, oh, nice. the drummer. I know Jay. Uh, Jay and I have played in a million projects over the years. We were in a band called the Spiritual Sky Blues Band a bunch of years ago that was never really documented. Okay. It was the two of us and Gavin DeAnda from oh, okay. Saffron Sect and uh, the Gnostics and whatnot. And Gavin's living in Montreal now. And, you know, I've also been trying to document a lot of stuff that wasn't documented properly way back um you know sort of it was like you know lack of urgency in documenting a lot of things from a lot of people around here so so jay and i made that with anthony nemet and it's instrumental um and that's going to come out really soon um there's the uh live woods tape that's come out on my label that is just finished uh called live love that is a compilation of recordings my friend ayal senior 
made from the Herschel Savage American okay. Flag Band. Okay. Um, and I'm playing on a lot of it, and there's a bunch of other fun people on it, and so that's out. And hopefully some more Cosmic Range stuff. We're getting into some work. Um, I'm hoping maybe we can get some more backing band uh, work like we did with uh, U.S. Girls right. on Poem Unlimited, which was a big part of why I put that band together. Um, I've always been a big fan of studio bands and just studio work yeah, yeah, yeah. in general. Yeah. And... You know, that was even part of probably Mike and I's multi-instrumental thing. You know, the idea of you can cut down on numbers by having people doubling. And and we have a really, you know, kind of interesting skill set. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I'm hoping some stuff will come of that because um, I really enjoy it, you know. Um, well, I mean, it's astounding. It's an amazing body of work already. And I thank you for uh, the work you've done. Thank you. And I, I appreciate it. Where can people go to learn more about you uh, and your work, if possible? Um, the best place to go right now is to um, go on the Cosmic Range Records uh, Bandcamp okay. page. Okay. Um, I think if you pretty much Google my name, um, that's the first thing that comes up. I don't do social media. Um, like I said, I didn't have a mobile until someone gave me one a couple weeks ago <laughs> sort of a you know or actually the irony is is it was given to me about a year ago and it sat on my shelf for a year i i actually want to interject because as you were talking about your your lack of uh cell phone engagement i went on my cell phone because as we've been speaking here I thought about the fact that I suggested that the Beatles would have played RFK Stadium in 1964. No, because RFK was he was still Robert alive. Robert F. Kennedy. Why yeah, would they have named it that? I don't know what I was thinking, but it was actually called the Washington Coliseum. The Coliseum, yes, exactly. But for some reason in my head, maybe now it's called the RFK. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I wonder if the Coliseum was renamed. I don't even know if that's true. I think no, RFK is a stadium. You're right. Yeah, because RFK is where the, the, name that, the, the team that should not be named um, Play. plays. Yes. And it's outdoors. I just thought of it as like... An, about half an hour ago, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I got that wrong. I'm going to fix this. Oh, don't get me. So you're you're telling me about not using your phone. Sometimes these phones come in handy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm I'm pretty unimpressed, but hey, it's you know it, <laughs> it came. It's come in handy. Yeah. I get it. I also understand why people were incredibly cheesed off at me for not having one. Yeah, of those they're handy things. for getting in touch with people too. Yeah, I was I was getting a little too isolated from the world, which is sort of what I do anyway. But well, I, you're on Bandcamp. I'm on Bandcamp, so you can access the records there. Yeah. I'm going to do, actually, I'm going to, um, I'm in the process of uploading a lot of the old uh, tapes okay. and the old private press records and stuff, sort of more of the uh, avant-garde, for lack of a better word, which is a terrible word for this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, the instrumental music, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start uploading a lot of that stuff to the band camp, and you can just get in touch with me directly there. Okay. There might be an Instagram page going up for the for the label. Um, I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny that okay. happening, but that's the best way for people to find me. Okay. And even taking a little dip into Discogs because, yes. um, you know, it's rather, it's, there's, there's a rather voluminous. Yeah. You've been prolific. I've been, yeah, fairly prolific. It's good. Um, thank you. Um, especially with Matt and Erica and some of the other things and a lot of session work up here for a lot of even people that are in the range and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm on people's stuff. So, yeah. and I do my best to try to, you know, not to sound too weird, but 
try to be on records that are good so <laughs> so you can dig in and it's not like yeah like a whole you know it's it's like okay maybe maybe there's some good stuff here so upper canada blues is it on a label no i i'm privately pressing all this stuff i'm 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 the label boss okay i'm that's yeah cosmic range records is that's you is my label okay and then the band is the cosmic range right which is maybe a little confusing but it all feeds sort of back into the same place i'm I'm figuring it out if i can figure it out most people can figure it out i'm sure yeah i mean i also not to be i mean i'm sitting here talking to you (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know but uh you know a little mystery you know it was always kind of fun part of all this yeah absolutely you know and um you know, so you know, don't, you know, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to always show your your full hand. You You've know? done some press, though. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll do the press. Yeah, I mean, with the right people, right? Well, I, I I appreciate you making time for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to blow smoke. No, it's no, like, no. You know, it's like uh, you know, people I want to talk to for sure. And also, I will say that uh, you know, the, the Berman stuff you posted was 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 a really wonderful talk. Oh, and, thanks. And, and it was. You know, that was a big part of me being like, of course, I'll talk to Vish. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. No, it means a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, not, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's a song from Upper Canada Blues that we can go out on for people to hear, what would you pick? Um, I'd probably put on, put on Running Right Out. Running Right Out. This is the penultimate song on this record. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, we'll play that one, because. Why? I think it's. MV and I used to uh, always joke about having the Willie Nelson song in your kit bag, as in, if you met Willie Nelson, is there a song that you would you wouldn't feel embarrassed to play for Willie Nelson oh, of your own, of your own, right? And using that as a as like a standard, yeah, very much so. Being like, you know, can you could you you know, do you have a song? That you wouldn't be completely embarrassed singing for Willie Nelson, and I think that's maybe that. Okay, I think it's, I think it's got a nice hook. All right, we'll leave it at that. That's it's, it's, it's a mysterious. Downer. It's a downer, <laughs> and it's, it's a good. downer, which is which is great. It's good. This is running right out from Upper Canada Blues by Matthew Duck Dunn. Matthew, thank you so much for this time and for having me in your home, and I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you, Vish. I appreciate it.
Thanks again to Matthew Doc Dunn for appearing on this, the 515th episode and the first of the year 2020 of Creative Control. The first episode of Creative Control in the year 2020. And Creative Control is still part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify and Audio Boom and YouTube and all those things as well. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for in any of those things or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. And once again, we have a $6 and above tier now. Anything uh, $6 and above, you get exclusive access to content from my audio archives, and I'm uploading those uh, whenever I can. So at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, depending on what's going on. So again, patreon.com slash creative control to support the show. And thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. And always uh, Jim, Jim Guthrie. Thank you, Jim. Jim lets me use some music of his on this show, and you can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, to this podcast and telling your friends to do the same and, and subscribing to the show and all the things you do. I appreciate it very much. And I will uh, talk to you very, very soon. Here's to a, a happy new year, 2020, and uh, let's do this together. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.